Hello and welcome to the 70th episode of the Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them about how they their start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Warhammer 40,000 Regicide by Hammerfall Publishing. Catherine, who are you and what do you do? Oh, hey. Um, well, I'm the project lead at Hammerfall Publishing, and uh, we've just released Warhammer Regicide. Um, yeah, so uh, do you want to know a bit more about my job and what I'm doing? Yeah, just what's, what's your formal like position there at Hammerfall? Yeah, so my for- well, formal position is project lead, but we're quite a small indie team, so it basically entails doing everything and anything and whatever comes up but um and we also publish our own games obviously being called handful publishing i did notice no that. i was a bit worried like, <laughs> I was doing, when i was doing some research like oh god did they publish this game or did they make it did, what do yeah. i do yeah we did both we did both so um but obviously we've got a lot of external contractors as well that we work with uh, alongside our team as as well so um yeah so i guess i've taken I've started with the project all the way through from the initial contracting and and um, set up and um, through to concepting, game design, um, development, and then on to you know testing, money, like packaging, marketing, publishing. Uh, so basically, literally A to Z, done something at like e- in each different place, I guess. Um, we've got a really really fantastic team. Um, uh, split all over the world, so we've got some some guys in the UK who work with us, some guys in the US, a, a smallish team in in Australia as well. So, um, yeah, anything in particular you want to know about? <laughs> no, no, that's okay because now we've got an idea of what you are, and what, what you stand, and you're, you're you're in this small team now. But that's not your your history because that's what I want to start with now. Is uh, how did you make your start making flashy lighty video games? Well, it was, well, I suppose very, very first off, I did um, an internship um, uh, when I was at high school. I'd been doing 3D graphics since I was probably about 13 years old, I think, maybe a bit younger, um, using 3D Studio before it had become 3D Studio Max, because mm. um, my brother was into it, and I used to just watch and follow him, because like, he was like eight years older than me, so I thought he... I still think that he's the coolest person I know. <laughs> so, and, I, I, as a person who's the youngest of four siblings, I kind of empathise in some regard. So, yeah. <laughs> it was a bit strange to think that when they were punching you in the face, because you know, that's how well, they show I, their love, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I was I was too young to punch in the face. Oh, so that's right. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, you can't punch someone eight years younger than you in the face. No, so it worked out worked out pretty well, really. So I used to. <laughs> We used to follow around. We used to actually play video games together when, when I was a kid. Right. And because I was so young, yeah. he'd just give me one key on the keyboard <laughs> and depress. So we were watching him play games, and like, I, my my key was usually the health key. Right. <laughs> like I'd have to just regenerate his health when he was dying. Um, but then if he died, he'd blame He'd be like, I can't believe you let me die. And I'd be like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, <laughs> like this little tiny tot watching, playing all these games. And then I guess uh, we sort of used to, like, oh, oh like, I, used to, I think my first set of games that I played, things like Golden Axe, that was a great game. And you used to go around kicking these little little guys that would give you little potions and little... I know meat chops to like yeah. regenerate your health and stuff like that was great and then all the way through to um it's probably a lot of things like Doom and Duke Nukem and um Quake a lot as well and through to Half Life and a lot of first person shooters as well. I still um, remember first playing Quake and losing my mind. Oh, it was amazing. It was <laughs> like, just, yeah, you, you can empathise with this because it's like I was playing Doom a lot and Lands and stuff. Yeah. I was lucky, but. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was having, I had these CAD machines, and we, had, we, there was, you know, CAD machines. Like you know that, super, super, super powerful, you know. Yeah. And you could do anything with them, and we used to <laughs> over lunch break, we should sit there and play Doom, and it's just oh. like <laughs> four player Doom. I just remember being telefagged for the first time. Like, what happened? Oh my god! You telling me that? <laughs> Did you just 
Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, the realisation that could happen was amazing. But see, uh, yeah. being able to look up and, and circle strafe was just like, what? What, what is this? This wizard. I know. <laughs> yes, of course. I played, like, we'd use the little level editor and we'd build our own levels and yes. we'd used to have, we could actually import other people's levels so we'd each build our own little quadrant so we would have, like, our home base that, you know, and if you knew how to use the level editor you could put a load of traps in there and put a load of secrets so, you know, you'd, you'd run it and we'd make a little like a central quadrangle kind of thing, and we'd each attach our little levels to it. And then the idea is you'd lure someone into your base and you'd kill them. But, so it became a little bit more about level design than just like the playing aspect, which I think we were all really, really deeply into. And um, I, I went through a whole phase of pointing click adventures, you know, the Monkey Islands and Day of the oh. Tentacles. Yeah. And yeah. that's where I, that's where I truly, truly, truly fell in love with games. Like that was, you know, I think that was that was a moment where I was like, this is amazing. But it's funny, I'd never even considered at that point that that would be something that I would actually do. I mean, working in the games industry, I mean, games, it's like a game. I mean, that's not a serious job. It was And also uh, it's that we were talking about before recording the show how people didn't really correlate the fact that people made these things. You know, it's just oh, like there was a bit. No, they that, just yeah, it just appeared. They just, they just <laughs> pop into existence, and that was it. You played them, yeah. Um, which is funny because I recently saw uh, some statistics that said that if you take the the Hollywood film industry and then the music industry and you add them together, it's still not as big as the games industry is no. today. No, no. I was like, that that's mind blowing. In terms of revenue, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite extraordinary. And, and, and I've said this to other developers as well. You may see this is a bit, a bit churlish for the same, but you hear musicians spending, I don't know, two years on an album, say. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you, no offense, but you're just making some music. I mean, video That's video, a fair point. You've got to make an album and a game. And, and, and a game, trailer. and a story, and a trailer, and a book, and a sculpture to go with it. I'm talking about, um, you know what I mean? It's just like, here we go, That's we made this. Look, look, and you spent two years scratching your whatever in the studio doing what? You know, and it just, it just really freaks me out. And I mean, I know a lot of really good bands just like, I don't know, Foo Fighters or something, just go in, crash it out in three weeks and then they're done. And that's fine because they can do that. Yeah. Um, you know, but anyway, it's a discussion. Trust me, if, if if you were like working at the pace that it would take you to like two years to make an album, it would take you two decades to make a game at least. Yes, maybe probably more actually if you think about it. it well, yeah, it, it worked for Team Fortress too. Hey, but <laughs> 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 uh, um. yeah, I do. yeah, Team Fortress is a good part of my childhood as well. So. Yeah. Okay. I trained. Like, we'd been using these 3D packages since I was a little kid. I got some of the models that I made when I was little. Like I'd, I'd learned how to use the the loft tool, where you take a spline and you take uh, another, you take two splines. One that's like a, almost like a you know almost like a stick, I suppose, and the other one that's like a shape. And then you sort of loft. So you say match this this shape, and you sort of bring draw it across where the the, the the kind of sticky line kind of aspect is and you get a 3D object based on those two things mm-hmm. if they're at right angles to each other so and I, I'd learned this and I, I decided that I was going to make a dinosaur um, which was really cute because I was I was only just like a little kid and I'd made these little dinosaurs and naturally it'd been Max I put a teapot in its mouth yes um, like with pouring a cup of tea but that was kind of my childhood was like making these little quirky models when I was a kid and I made a, an ice cream tank because that's how my brain worked I imagine that we'd be front, front lines driving this big tank the with a, like an ice cream hat oh, right. like a hat yeah it's got ice cream hatch in the back right. you know serve ice creams to the front line troops because everybody needs a bit of ice cream with my logic anyway I remember I, so. saw, I saw Fury <laughs> recently um <laughs> with the Brad Pitt film with the tank driver. Yeah, I don't remember much in the way of ice cream in that film. No, but At don't all. you think it would be better <laughs> if they had, had an ice cream tank? I, don't know. <laughs> I think that would make perfect sense. Personally, yes. you know. Yes. So you went on um, from making those 3D models and dinosaurs, clearly on a, an homage to the PlayStation, not knowing it. Um, yep. 
Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> that, that demo. Um, well, then how how did you find yourself in the realm of, of like like I said, flashy light video game creation? You went to university, I assume, or yeah, but I actually studied mechanical engineering. I, I was I was prepping myself for a for a, like a career in building like I don't know. I, I did a lot of time in JCB. I, I was working a lot with the automotive side of things, um, building engines, gearboxes, looking at torques, mathematics. Um, I always really liked maths and physics. Um, and and to be honest, all the way through college, I, I had this bizarre split where I'd do maths, physics, further mathematics, and then on the other side, I'd be doing art and graphic design. So I'd fry my brain in maths, and then I'd go to art and do some finger painting and feel a lot better about it. <laughs> my brain is potato. I'm just going to just going to make some mess. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I sort of was like, well, what am I going to do with these these two bizarre applications where it's like very, very logical thinking and create like sort of these creative artistic aspects. Mm. So my, and I guess um, at that point I'd not really considered the games industry, um, but in that point, at that point, my brother had just started to look at getting jobs in games himself. Um, but even then, it, it still was a bit like, you know, I'm not sure if I, it's right for me. So I went for engineering thinking this is the, the smart, educated thing to do. This is what yeah. clever people probably do. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't really something that I particularly enjoyed hugely. And, I, and um, it lacked a lot of, it, it was basically just pure maths and physics, which I like maths and physics, but it, it lacked that creativity aspect. You know, we did a lot of AutoCAD and those kind of things, but it wasn't it wasn't creative in a sense. It was very much like you know you have to have very precise lines, and there's no there's no free form to it really. There's no you know it's a very precise kind of art, I suppose. Which is you know I wanted something that was a little bit more you know in the same sense as games. It's sort of messy, but you love it kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I suppose the artistic aspect is it is is the form of it. Um, mm. So my friend of mine, he, his father, used to he's retired now, but he used to do a um, used to develop um, sort of the shells of um, appliances, like microwaves, irons, that kind of stuff. And it turns out that the innards of them are largely the same, but the only reason to get more expensive ones is because they just had different, more artistic forms in the outer shell, and we'd, he would design mm. those. So the artistic element of it, he was an artist, a sculptor. He wasn't an engineer in any sense of imagination at all. He was just he was building the shells within which devices would be fit into, and uh, that's yeah. Where, yeah. So that's where the artistic uh, creativity comes into in many regards. Mm. But the yeah, no, I absolutely. But there's other ways of you know creativity of engineering in that you're solving problems, not solving problems because that's like it. But you're you've got a challenge to it is. Come. And, yeah. like, and that's, that's where your creative juices come in, based on all the tools that you have available to you. But it's not immediately obvious. So I hear what you're saying. Yeah, it, it's not it's not visually creative. It's mentally creative, which yes. is the two different things. And only other so, engineers uh, appreciate it. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. It's like well, so I now think that. Yeah, like I think that maths is mathematics is like another language form, and it is quite be- it's beautiful in itself. You know, it's quite a you know. I think someone told me that um, you know in sort of Oxford and Cambridge, they considered their mathematics bachelor's of arts degrees because I don't know if that's true. I'd have to definitely look that up, but I think that's a really interesting and quite a nice idea, really, because the way the way that they treat it is very artistically, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, way too it's like it's like so artistic. It's way above my head anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. It is a language, and it isn't just about numbers. It really isn't, everyone. It's actually about patterns anyway yes very simplistically so yeah but carry on like years before that when i was in sort of high school i'd I'd done a i'd done an internship for you know a couple of weeks so this is when i was sort of 15 right and all all my friends were going and i don't know um i've got one friend that had gone and worked in a library to stack books and someone else that had gone and done some work experience in a supermarket and I told off to a game development studio uh, called Climax, unfortunately named Climax Entertainment, yes. <laughs> which is a perfect place for a 15-year-old girl to head over to. But yeah. I was actually doing um, 3D assets, so I made barrels and skulls, and this was for the Warhammer Online. And um, it's really funny because like, 
it felt so much like home because you know you know I, I don't know the sort of characters that you know were in a game development studios are also part of my family I suppose to a degree mm. so um you know it felt it felt very homely but I, I really enjoyed myself um there and um it gave me sort of a, an interesting portal into what a game development studio is and what they do and and um so towards the end of my degree, uh, you know, I, uh, one summer I was sort of short of cash and I'd been asked by my brother who was working at a company uh, called um, Outso at that point, um, you know, if I wanted to come and do some sort of holiday work over the, the summer. So I went in and worked for a few months and we were doing stuff for PlayStation Home at that time. Um, so oh, creating... Yeah, creating... <laughs> I know it's it's really sad in a way that obviously it's gone now. So a lot of the assets that I created, are, you know, and obviously just no longer there. But apart from in people's memories and hearts, hopefully. <laughs> but um, so and towards the end of my um, my time on the summer, they basically said, you know, do you want to just stay and work here? And I sort of sat and I sort of said, oh, you know, I'm going to have to sit and think about this. But then I was like, why not? You know, most people go to, you need to get the job that they want. And I think that this is a job I want. So I might as well just um, give it a go. Thinking, you know, I'll just go back later and sort of do my degree. But that was the start of a 10-year, you know, stint into the industry that has just gone higher and higher and higher. So, you know, right then I was doing, I specialized predominantly in character art. um, And we'd made... In PlayStation Home, they had something quite unique uh, for anyone that's not familiar with it. It was effectively like a chat room, but in 3D, so you could walk around and talk to people. That's right. um, but it was it was probably almost like a social experiment um, because of the way that people interacted with one another. And the strange thing about it, it was in its almost its own bubble where, and you may not realize, but there were like celebrities like literally there were people that were the highly prized celebrities within this virtual world and they'd all host parties and had throw parties at each other's houses and they'd all come around and they'd throw big events and all these various different things which seems really weird because you know like on one hand it's real as in the people you're interacting with are real people but then on the other hand it's totally fictitious you know these aren't the actual faces of the real people they're just characters and avatars that they've made and they're wearing clothes because virtual clothes nothing real so i was um in charge of uh sort of setting up uh what i called yeah sort of like an apparel or a a department that sold and created assets for people to wear in this virtual world, um, which is very, very interesting because it evolved looking at all sorts of different aspects, which is like trends, but not trends in real life, like trends like in this sort of digital world, what people were buying and selling and and so on, and then using that to actually create items um, that people liked. And over my time doing 3D, 3D art, which I'd been doing for years and years at this point, um, I'd learned a little technique from my brother about uh, using scrolling UVs to create some sort of special effects, um, which, you know, hadn't been used in, in PlayStation Home. And it's such a basic thing that anyone that's been in the industry for a while will know. But obviously a lot of the newer, you know, a lot of the people that are newer to the industry probably aren't so familiar with. And uh, with that, I made a whole series of things like animated T-shirts um, I made one that looked like Pong, so you've got the little sticks coming in and it was batting a ball around so, and all sorts of different things like equalizers and, and those kind of things. Because one of the major things they like to do in home um, was actually just go there to party, um, which was it's a weird idea. There was a lot of very young kids, I think, as well, who maybe weren't allowed to go outside because their parents were scared that they'd get run over or something yeah. bad would happen. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So... We'd have a lot of these kind of parties. I used to make a lot of this sort of party style clothing. Um, and that's how that department started. And that, that blossomed into, you know, selling hundreds and hundreds of thousands of items. You know, you know I think I just, I've created I'm, a pair. I'm stunned because I'm sitting here and generally my peers in the realm of journalism looked at home and went, yeah, right. <laughs> it I know. Just, it's just like, you know, the general industry, like, you're doing what? No, what? 
I've I've got I'm too busy on Dota. Sorry, or something like that. You know, I mean, most of my peers play Dota I, for reasons that we could talk about later. But this, you know, <laughs> but they don't like home. Like, no, that's too much. Like, you know, what was that Second Life? Like, no, no, no. Yeah, it's <laughs> weird. But it had a it, like, it had a strange kind of charm to it as well at the yeah. time. I was yeah. quite, quite, quite. Yeah. So we were doing all sorts of these different things, right. and we, you know, right. we just built up. We'd, in the, by the end, we'd, we'd literally, I, you know, the, the assets that I created just on my own had sold millions of units, wow. which was unbelievable um, if you think about it, really. Yeah. And um, so I then, um, after I'd been doing that for a while, I'd sort of gone from being, you know, what would be a character artist to a lead artist and then to a brand manager because there were these were like, virtual brands so you know we were having to do branding campaigns and marketing and advertising and setting up billboards and posters and like digital media and advertising and that kind of side of things which you know you wouldn't really normally associate with creating assets but it's creating assets for a world that's kind of a it, it still makes breaks my brain thinking about it yeah yeah so um around about 2011 i moved to australia and uh, with my partner, after be sort of doing um, that for I don't know four or five years, um, this is just before. Unfortunately, obviously, it's only recently closed, but at the time it was still kind of going. And we'd done all sorts. We'd made virtual spaces, homes, games within games. It was it was uh, like they had a lot of meta style games going on inside there. Um, I worked a few sort of smaller jobs, including making Xbox avatars. Um, and uh, that kind of style of things. And then I moved on to a company um, which was called Morph Dynamics, which is now called uh, Royal Winds, but um, was working on gamification. Oh, which was yeah. A yeah. I've heard a lot interesting of concept. Yeah, it's an interesting concept and something that actually I've used a lot of those sort of... Um, uh, a lot of the information that you know I sort of picked up as I was going through the sort of gamic- gamification um, and actually applying it to real get like applying it to games. So even looking at it in the reverse sense of what can we learn from gamification and how can we make games better rather than how can we make games and make real life better. Um, so that was quite interesting. Um, and then uh, around sort of just about two years ago, I moved to a company called Humphrey Publishing. Um, which was a sort of fledgling brand new company and we were about to embark on a, creating Warhammer 40k Regicide, which at that point didn't have a name and it only had a very rough concept. Um, and Crazy bonkers concept, which we'll talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the initial, you know, the initial sort of groundwork as to, you know, they, they knew that they wanted to have it based upon chess and they knew that they wanted to have sort of Warhammer aspects into it. Um, and they knew that they wanted it to be a little, something a little bit more, but they, you know, they wasn't sure about what that would be or how that would work. So, you know, through over those last two years, we've, we've gone through all sorts of different things from the actual managing of the, art production and, and bringing that all together to a lot of market research to then changing the game design and development based on that market research through so launching into early access with, along with all the um, you know the publishing aspect of it too um, and yeah obviously today actually only a week ago we actually launched to like sort of pub, like full launch on Steam and we're about to embark on or we've already started but we're sort of the beginning of our journey into sort of porting this over to uh, mobile and iOS nicely done and brings it's interesting you've got a full circle thing going there because you were <laughs> 15 you were doing Warhammer and here you are again Still doing Warhammer. I'm it's funny because, like, when I was when I was that when I was a kid, I, there was no point that I ever thought, oh, I might be running the entire project no. from everything from music to you know to the publishing side. I was not what I was expecting. No, because but you I were guess... a walking bag of hormones, so you know. It, <laughs> yeah, help. well, I, I don't guess. even think I'd started that. I was still too young. <laughs> I was still like, I was still like into dolls and stuff. Oh, you know? uh-huh. <laughs> like, you know, well, like, it's funny. It is, it is. Now, the next question is very um, broad, and uh, I get a lot of developers going, ah, and they get kind of like, I, I'm sure you can answer this with some robust response. 
So here we go. Ready? Yep. <laughs> what are your biggest influences as a video game creator? Biggest influences? What is the thing um, that you orbit most uh, often? Actually, um, behavior and personality is, is the thing that influences me the most, and in particular in our customers. So and I, I'm sure that a lot of other game developers have this sort of similar aspect where you want to make it like you need to not forget what it is like to be a gamer and what it's like to experience life as a gamer and using that to actually improve what you're doing as a game developer. I think a lot of the time we can be in the industry for so long, it's really, really quite easy to, um, you know, sort of empathize with the player and what they're going through because, of course, they don't know all the strife that we've had. They just know their strife. So it's been able to sort of plug into that. So I suppose my biggest influence, I mean, as an actual person, but it would probably be Tim Schafer because I just think he's amazing. Um, but as an actual, like a, an ethos or things, it's actually more watching and observing um, how our community and our customers are acting and being able to connect with those. Like, I think one of the key things I wanted to do with Hammerfall is, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people have done this, is, you know, I want to run a game development studio that connects with the gamers in the way that the gamers want rather than in the way that the game is most convenient for the game development studio. That obviously means that it's a whole heap, you know, it's a load more work. It's, um, you know, it can be very tiring and draining, but the results in the end are really, really good. So I guess that would probably be how I answer that. That yeah, makes sense. Done. Yeah, that will make sense. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, the weirdest one we've had is their dog. And that's fine, because that was awesome. And then we started talking about dog behavior and versus cat behavior. But we're not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, I love dogs too. Yeah. <laughs> I could talk about that dog for ages. <laughs> so, again, um, many developers on this show do are somewhat prescient. Either that or you're standing over my shoulder, which is a little bit weird, because my next question is, who do you most admire in the industry and why? And you already mentioned the name there, Tim Schafer. Yeah, I just, he's got that kind of like juvenile charm. Firstly, I love his games. I think his charm, you know, his games are amazing and they, they sort of deeply, like, I deeply connected with them and sort of enjoyed them from being, you know, you know, from as, as early as I could remember playing them. And even to now, which is really great seeing how his company has become very, um, you know, when I was playing these, these games, you know, I knew LucasArts, but I didn't really know the faces and the people behind it. And now, you know, he's, he's quite prevalent in the sort of media sphere. You know, he does his, um, you know, sort of developer blogs and diaries and those kind of things. And they're really entertaining. You know, he is, he is like a, a real life action figure almost. Um, which is what I, you know, he seems very animated and very exciting to be around. And, you know, if I could, if I won the lottery, I would definitely uh, pay to just have dinner with Tim Schafer, not for any particular career benefits, but just to just to sit and chat, because I think he'd be so fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I've bumped into him a few times. He goes to PAX. I, I go to PAX every year, because I'm insane. Um, but no, I do love PAX. <laughs> yeah, I do PAX East and PAX Prime. Every year, yep. and uh, I don't even ever been, but it's an amazing experience. It's unlike anything else, and uh, he's there on a regular basis. And uh, yes, yeah, a lovely man, very, 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 um, very, very funny, very, very clever, and hugely creative. And uh, yeah, I've got a lot of time for him. So his name That's does good. Come, I, yeah, Sorry. I was going to say they always say don't meet your idols, just in case they turn out to be assholes. Yeah. So hopefully that's not the truth of Tim Schafer, but no, there are, there, there are, thankfully there are exceptions to that rule, and <laughs> so that's good. Um, but you're right, most of the time they're kind of jerks. But uh, yeah. <laughs> so my next question to you then is my favourite question of the show, bar actually talk about the game we had to talk about in the first place. And because it gives you the insight into what makes you tick and also what you're possibly working on next. So intriguing, eh? It's basically a rather blunt question. And it's what most podcasters ask each other anyway, is what are you playing right now? Um, well, actually, I have just completed the Grim Fandango remastered on my phone. That was pretty enjoyable. Um, I'm actually hunting around for a few extra games. I am thinking I've got a lot of catching up to do. I'm going to do um, a little play on um, 
Metal Gear and a few bits on Chivalry, I'm thinking, Medieval Battles. I'm going to give yeah. that a go. Um, uh, I've not got any sort of, I've just come out, I've literally just come out from, from <laughs> and I'm sure the game developers will sympathise, I've just come out of what we call crunch yes. during the uh, the launch period, so I've not really had time for anything much other than working, yeah. but um, so really actually I've been doing a little mobile, you know, a little bits and bobs of mobile games to be okay. honest, because that's all I can really fit in, but I'm, I've got some... Now it's things that, you know, now we're about to roll into the sort of um, mobile development. I'm going to be starting to look at, yeah, some of the, you know, more serious sort of more in-depth, maybe slightly more gory um, PC games. <laughs> See that way that sorry. Yeah, yeah I, can, I can imagine where you can go with that one. But, uh, yeah, good luck with that. Oh, on, the yeah. mobile, on the mobile phone front, I keep on playing Alto's Adventure, who we've had on the show. I'm not sure if you've played... Oh. You played that? It's no. A, it's I, I'm about to say it, and you probably go, Chris. I'm not playing this. It's an infinite runner. I know, I know. Bear with me, but it's actually a very, very, very good and beautifully made infinite runner, and uh, and it's a one-off um, uh, payment as well. No microtransactions at all, actually, mm. and, and it requires a tremendous amount of skill to play. Um, basically, you're a snowboarding person. And you're going across the landscape and you're having to do stunts in order to do boosts. And when you do boosts, you can jump over ravines and all sorts of things. It's quite amazing. And, but it's, uh, it's very cheap. Um, I think it's What's it called? Alto's Adventure. A-L-T-O-S Adventure. Okay. So just check that out and it's very, very good. Very, very good. Oh, I'm, just, I'm just downloading that now. <laughs> you'll, you'll love it. Um, it works really well on the iPad, but it works. It looks it looks beautiful. Like this is the art style. I like. Obviously, it wouldn't necessarily suit um, probably our next game. No, <laughs> I'm not going to say much about it, but it looks. I love this art style. Like um, I was trying to think. Um, oh, Monument Valley not, looks a bit. Like Monument Valley. Oh my god! <laughs> that would say. Yeah. Oh wow! I was like. <laughs> This is this is a game made just for me. Just, just wow, I was like, like oh, oh, oh. And you, oh. just, you just wipe, you just destroy it, don't you? Just look, just go through it. Like, was that it? Yes. I'm like, <laughs> I need more levels, please. <laughs> they've, they've made more levels. They have. They have. I'm going to go back. Slobber. Um, <laughs> oh god. You just like zone out. That's why I think you should play the room because that's all all about. Yeah, I played that as well. That's good, yeah. but um, I'm trying to think. There was it'll come back to me. But there's an, there's a similar one to that Alto's Adventure, where it's sort of like almost silhouetted on sort of back um, on sort of more of a slightly colourful back, back background. But um, oh. anyway, that's yes. going to do my head in. Uh, it'll go. maybe open up later. Uh, it's my gift to you, and by all means, listen to the show where we interviewed the developer to find out. Yeah. You know, we're, 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 what episode was that? I, I will check. I think it's like fifty something, but it's, uh, okay. it's not that long ago. I mean, you know, a friend of mine just tweeted about the game. It's a lovely sort of symbology that um, what happened there. But he tweeted the game. I downloaded it and immediately contacted the developer and he agreed to come on the show. Yay! So that's how these things work. Um, awesome. Yeah, it's cool. So that's the first half of the show over. Ah, oh, no. um, well done. You survived. You're still here. And uh, now we're going to talk the second half of the show, where we talk about Warhammer 40,000 Bricks. So, first question is the zeroth question. As more reference, if you're familiar. Uh, although we're not going to do that particular question because it's the one thing. But we are going to ask you this. Tell us, what is Warhammer 40,000 Regicide? Okay, so um, I suppose in principle what we did with Warhammer 40k Regicide is we took probably one of the most classic games known to man 
I'd probably stretch that far, in particular probably the strategy zone, which is chess. I was thinking and, snap, uh, but okay. Snap, yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, strategy, strategy. I don't know how much well, strategy is in snap. Well, it's more violence, yeah. isn't it, really? But yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we wanted to bring it to the Warhammer 40k universe and there was a, a few things that we'd been inspired by we'd been inspired by sort of the the old times of uh, battle chess and, and so on and you know and we thought that the aspects of the grim dark gritty violent animations and, and those kind of things would suit really really well into a game that was basically pure strategy but then because obviously and and the game that we currently have has a straight up vanilla mode like that as well for anyone that's sort of only into that aspect. But then what we wanted to do was really take it to the next level and develop it further using technology that they wouldn't have had, you know, in the 15th century. So we had then looked at adding action points and abilities. So the way that we separated it out was that, you know, you'd take your first movement in the same way that you would take a chess turn, but then you'd have a second phase where you could then use a whole load of abilities. So you could use one of your units on the board to shoot. You could throw a grenade. You could use um, various these various different abilities. Um, and they were sort of separated in a way that each unit has its own abilities. So you've got your snapshot, which is like, just your straight up shooting, your go to ground, which is like a defend where you increase your toughness. Um, you've got uh, an assault, which is uh, just, you know, to sort of attack something in an adjacent square, and then usually one or two, maybe special abilities depending on the piece. Um, and then, as well as all of the unit abilities, you'd have your player abilities. So, you as a player would be playing this kind of offboard psychic. Uh, unit and then you had a, you, know, you had a sort of four abilities that you could bring in there to, with you. And these range from things that you could just use maybe, um, there were things like stuns to stop people using their abilities, but there were also things like, um, um, things that create a lot of damage, um, or even things that, um, healed, I suppose. So it depended on how you wanted to set up and, We've got sort of two races, key races, the the Orcs and the Space Marines, and each of those has different factions and 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 um, sorry, each different sort of chapters and clans. And um, the idea is, as you play through the game, you earn these sort of skill points, which you can then go to unlock these player abilities. And you start off with sort of a very straight up, like quite a you know, uh, quite a, a sturdy four set, which includes a star and a shield, something that increases your armor and something that increases health. But you can actually then, as you sort of play through it and unlock, unlock more, you can actually define how you want your army to act. So you could uh, you could go in there with abilities that would develop, like affect maybe the critical damage. So you could go in there with a very critty army, depending on your playstyle. Or um, you could, for instance, go in there with a lot of heals because you're going in there for end game scenario. Um, and so on. So uh, each race that we've got is significantly different, actually. So the orcs, um, a lot of their abilities are quite, you know, and, and sort of we wanted this all to fit within the universe. So they have a lot of abilities that um, I guess you'd say that they, they're almost a little bit silly in some senses. So, for instance, um, uh, call the dock. You could either heal your unit or you can damage it. Which, when you've got a unit on its last legs, it's like you can either, you know, restore it really well, or you know, you could, you could absolutely kill it. So you always had this sort of balance. Or another one, would be, which would be Grot Prod, where you can poke one of your units to make it angrier, but it takes a little bit of its health away. So you know, orcs use their health almost like a currency, effectively. Um, whereas you've got the Space Marines that are more armor orientated. They're more accurate as well, so they can shoot over longer distances versus the orcs that were a terrible shot. But if you got up close, they were absolutely deadly. So the idea is, is that you've got these two armies that are uh, made in a way that you would play with them very differently. Um, you would all depending on your sort of play style as well, of course. But, um, you know, they're built to be used differently. So obviously you'd be finding people that, go from one army to another and it takes them a, it takes them a little while to understand how their mechanics works 
you know, kind of thing. So it gives them that unique and, and also the way that you would fight against a, a space marine versus the way that you would fight against, if you were a space marine, sorry, the way that you'd fight against a space marine versus the way that you'd fight about against an orc. That would be very different. Like strategically, you would have to act very differently. Um, so, uh, yes, does that cover it? <laughs> wow, that's, that's a pitch and a half. Well done. Um, that was just a job there. Um, I, I just li- listened and he did, you know, expanded on the, the idea of adding that layer of, onto chess, which we're going to come on to later on in this Q&A okay. with you, but it's just, it's very dangerous, but we'll talk about it later. And I just want to ask you the first proper detail question, and it's like, the idea of creating animated chess dates back to battle chess, I believe, from 1988. Mm. It might be some games earlier than that. There probably are, but that's the one I remember to the point where yep. I still have my copy. Yes, I've dug it out. Really? have it in front of me for the Atari ST. Here it is. Excellent. I still have an ST that still works as well. I know. I have. I love it. I know. <laughs> Whoa. I've sent it a time warp. Oh, yeah. And, so it, and yeah, it still still works. And it has that EA logo and stuff. And it's bright yellow. And it's, it, it looks great. And uh, I remember back then I was rubbish at chess. And I still am rubbish at chess. Can't do projected movements. Can't see beyond three moves ahead, which is terrible. Um, it's, a, it's a failing I have. Um, but why do you think people are ready for another another take on 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 chess now what do you think it's just this marriage between a, a game that's almost five six hundred years old to what you know a very i say modern but you know a, a universe that's very familiar to us is that it is that what mm. it's going on well I guess you could say uh, I, I guess that's to a degree yes um I mean the thing about chess in particular is that it's a game that once you get into, forgetting all of the the graphical aspect of it, which yes. obviously it was very plain, but strategically, it is a it's a, sort of a quite a, in a very it can have very very intense moments once you start to really understand the rules. And I'm very much of the belief that you know you can really really learn to enjoy almost any game as long as you under, like understand the underlying rules and that. So, uh, which is why I've recently started to try and learn the rules of cricket, just so that I can enjoy myself when my partner drags me around to cricket matches. It's um, not that complicated. <laughs> Amazingly, it's not that no. complicated. And and similarly with with chess, I mean, the, there are a few rules there, but actually, it's more a mindset than anything that you're going through. And the thing about this is that it's it's visually very bland and it's very plain and, and the visual aspect really doesn't match how in tactically intense the actual game is. Which and is why I'm rubbish at it because I'm so convinced like I can definitely take that rook out with no risk to my oh god. <laughs> <laughs> what have I done? What have I done? Like, yeah, uh, when we've all done that, we've done a really dumb move and we're like, oh damn! <laughs> like, What's really annoying is you've focused on one piece thinking it's going to be you have to take it out, otherwise it's going to wipe out your whole flank of something. And you go, yeah. oh, but you've forgotten about the, the bishop. The other one over oh. there, yeah. Now he's now, yeah. <laughs> so I, I suppose we've, in, in, you know, in the games world, we've, you know, we've got all this flashy, flashy new graphics, maybe even moving away a little bit from the concept of, you know, really, really you know, in-depth mechanics just to focus purely on this sort of very visual, sort of very intense kind of uh, experience that may be actually relatively simple as far as the actual mechanics are contro- you know, concerned. And for me, uh, you know, when we live in a world that is a million miles an hour, you know, there's no one that really just watches TV. You're watching TV, you're playing on your iPhone, you know, your phone or whatever it is, your tablet, you know, your your drive, you know, your when you're doing or something, something else. You've got the radio in the background. You've got something else going on. You know, you've, it's sort of in, you're in this in- environment where you've got like streams of entertainment coming from you from like a million directions, and that's kind of how we are today. And in particular, in the youth of today as well, we are. You know, it, it's very hard to find a moment where it's just you and and one thing going on. And so what we wanted to do is bring some of that real life excitement and the thing that people are really getting used to in sort of the modern era is, is 
all this sort of visual aspect to it to a game that really is tactically very very intense and getting those two to marry up because what one thing that i always felt about the classic games is the fact that you know mechanically they're fantastic but then it's easy to you know brush aside because it's not meeting the modern requirements for this is a visually or even an entertaining game as such it's too Um, level it's just so raw and basic it's just down to its raw components and that's right the closest thing you've got that's embellished that is playing cards the playing cards do have a visual aspect to them and do you know all the picture cards can be crazy mm. although they do have the suicidal king and the king that's actually depressed and the one <laughs> that, you know it's you know it's, there's a king that actually has sized a sword through his head but there's another king who hasn't actually killed himself he's just got an axe pointing to his head and we i've it. never I, I will investigate that later yeah, but I, I, yeah, yeah suicide kings but unless he's only one <laughs> the other one's just depressed um <laughs> I suppose the other the other aspect, and, and and again going back to probably some of my in my history with gamification, is that realistically these classic games are games that have had no gamification. You know, just yes. doesn't have a natural leaderboard. It doesn't ha- it doesn't give you reward points. It doesn't give you, um, you know, it doesn't give you requisition that you can call upon another army. It doesn't, you know, it's not got all of the, you know, it doesn't have countdown timers or any of these mechanics that. Because today I feel like we've got a lot of games that literally are visual aspects and gamification, and there's no real underlying fun mechanics in there. Mm. It's kind of like they will, you know, in particular in, in the depths of, of so, and, and actually some of the biggest monetizing games, I imagine, are really more about, you know, the fact that it's, it, they've added these little layers of gamification onto it. So, you know, the idea was... isn't it? It's a bit Pavlovian response, yeah. isn't it, really? Which is I, horrible to think, but it's true, you know. Well... You know, I, it's part of human nature, I, I guess, and mm. and even though it's Pavlovian, like it, it's still it still creates enjoyable games to a degree. Obviously, I, I know that people play games way beyond their enjoyable nature, but that's why they get into it is because it it's got a hook and it. it's exciting. Um, and whilst obviously we can probably turn our noses up at it, I suppose to a degree, if people are enjoying it, it's still a valid thing, I, I guess. Yeah, but uh, that's a whole other conversation. Jeez. Um, but so it would be, uh, you know, the, the thought was what happens when we get something that, you know, you know, is this tactically intense, very raw, and then add all of these extra things on that we associate with modern gaming, what, w- what would come out from that? And I suppose that's what Regicide eventually became. Right. And which leads us to a second, well, third question, actually, or question number two, because we've already had number zero, if that's enough. <laughs> That number. Oh God, I'm going to get yelled at now. How have you balanced the game that dates back to the 15th century with modifications you've made to it with Warhammer 40,000 Regicide? Because I'm worried that this is a beautifully primed, balanced game, I believe, although you can have a stalemate. In fact, I've read many things about uh, yes. stalemates in, in, in chess, which always frustrated me because it's up there with Noughts and Crosses. You know, it's a stupid game. Because you, you could just tie it. You know, you just, you just, and and I'm not saying chess is like that, or I just did. I'm just saying there's always that underlying tone of we can draw this, can't we? Much like cricket. Well, I suppose the thing about about it is that we're always after a winner or loss, usually in sort of typical gaming. But there is an art to the classic game that where you know you're on a winning side, so you you are tactical in the way that you want to force the opponent to put you in a stalemate position, therefore sort of saving face on your losing position. So it becomes actually an art form in itself, and it's actually only once you get deeper into those aspects of the tactic. But, I mean, back to the the idea of the, the balance, I suppose mm. um, we do a lot of uh, sim- big simulations you know we obviously play a lot ourselves but we set the AI playing itself with a whole set of abilities and different rules and different units and different balances and we first we do a lot of games where we actually literally watch the game play out but then we do another one where we we'll just do a, run a simulation batch of a thousand games with these particular statistics and then we'll do statistical analysis on does this work doesn't this work and I suppose you know, they didn't really have that when they invented uh, the original game. Because um, oh. maybe they would have done it a bit quicker. <laughs> quicker. <laughs> um, but 
Needless to say, I mean, we're still gaining insights from human players that we're still putting back. I mean, we still do balance updates almost weekly now, to be honest. And um, it's something that we're not afraid of is the fact that we are going through and it is an evolving process, even still, even though we've gone through. I mean, even the abilities themselves have probably gone through five, you know, five to six, maybe even more iterations and sometimes entirely ripped out and replaced just so that they, they work together, you know, holistically, I suppose. Mm. Um, and also, you know, as with game development, it's, it's very easy to look back in time and say, okay, this ability, this ability, this ability. But to get there, you know, looking forward was a lot of trial and error and a lot, you know, a lot of testing. And, you know, we tried to make a science out of how we did it because we felt that this game really needed it to be more of a scientific approach. Right. Well, that's what I glean from experience in playing the game. It's definitely, it shows a phenomenal amount of polish because it is extraordinarily well put together, the whole thing. It just, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing of itself. You can see that people put love, love and attention to it, but there's definitely a sense of underlying, like, we know we're messing with a very, very old formula here. We're not mm. going to disrespect it. But we we feel, that, however, this is fun. You just want to add that layer of, you know, entertainment. Yeah. yeah. Well, absolutely. Uh, I mean, what we did is, I mean, we have the two modes, which is you can play classic, which is basically straight up uh, classic chess, but also the regicide mode, which really is the thing that people are interested about because yeah. I suppose it's innovative. It's something that no one in a million years would probably consider doing. Uh, again or you know different you know it's got sort of such a unique thought about it that it's not something that's um you know for me it was like creating a game that was treading a path that no one else had really trodden before which was quite quite exciting i suppose to a degree you know often when you're making games there's a lot of other games where you can sort of take formulas from or you know analyze and say okay i want to do it like this or like that but um, you know, with Regicide, it's a it's a, a unique game that really stands on its own, which I, I was you know hugely proud of the team for sort of producing and putting together. Yeah, yeah, it does so. And um, but my my next question though is really about the the source material, and indeed not so much the the law because that's the thing that most of us know about the crazy Warhammer Forty Thousand universe. To think of someone's creating. To think anyone thought, well, what the world is like 40,000 years from now? Are you kidding? Like, yeah, let's, let's, let's just try and figure out what would it be like? Maybe it's like this. And, it, you know, the, the, it's, it's, it's uh, the, the thought of humanity is an old and dying race is quite interesting. I, I think that it'll be funny, you know, in the same way that when you watch Back to the Future and then, or you watch it again, but then you're actually beyond the day when they say they're in the future. Yes. It would be really interest, interesting in 40,000 years if anyone goes and looks at Warhammer 40k to see, you know, yeah. how much of it actually matches up. <laughs> no, I think it's more of a projection of our own, you know, insecurities. But anyway, what I'm going to talk about is the turn-based nature of Warhammer 40,000, Regicide, obviously lends itself to be very close to tabletop origins of the actual Warhammer game. So how much did you glean from the original rule set? Is there any like stats you used based on the original rule set that you used as a basis for your registered mode of Warhammer 40,000 registered? Do you know what I mean? It's like uh, Yeah, yeah, I, I understand what you're getting at. Look, I mean, ultimately the games are very different, but they're similar in some aspects Yes. In the sense that the, you know, turn-based tactics, they both we've included, which is something quite different for what would be a, a you know, the classic chess game is that we've added, you know, we've added that sort of element of randomness, whereas in the tabletop you would throw dice and you would decide then if you'd shoot or you'd take out. So um, we've got a sort of similar kind of vibe going on with Regicide because your shots may not always be successful. Um, um, but your, the chess moves always would be, of course, because um, we didn't want to mess with that aspect of it. So we've brought that sort of, um, you know, so I, I suppose it's common with almost all um, tabletop uh, style games, and in particular war games, is that element of risk that we actually brought in. Yes. Um, as far as the actual, I suppose, stats for units, I mean, what, what we did was, you know, we, we sort of gauge 
you know, we, we, we obviously are, are, are experienced in Warhammer 40k. We've been sort of aware of the law and, and how the various different races will work. Um, and we sort of brought some of those aspects forward, although we couldn't perfectly match because the context is so very, very different. Oh, yes, the, the but, whole mechanic. You know, don't, you know, you're not getting out of tape measure and saying, well, there's this number of units versus <laughs> this number of units. No, you're not. I'm not asking that. But I'm saying that there's, you know, you're, you've already hinted at it earlier. The Space Marines are really good at armor. They can do long range. Yeah. Point. I mean, they're not, they're not quite as good as the Elder, but then again, who are? Um, but you know, <laughs> in regards to you know, ranged combat, but that's a discussion for another time. But when you've got yes. the, you know, you've got the, the orcs, they they do act as you expect. Oh, absolutely. And and the idea is, is we want to sort of bring some of that vibe and theme to all of the armies. So they do, you know, on the whole, their sort of their ethos. Uh, is very, very similar to the way that it's described in the Warhammer 40,000 universe. You know, we're looking at, you know, space marines that are, you know, these are the sort of super soldiers that are great at shooting, they've got great armour, um, but they may have other weaknesses elsewhere. Um, whereas, obviously, the orcs, generally speaking, you know, they have next to no armour, you know, but they have a lot of toughness and a lot of um, a lot of health. So, you know, you can still pick at them and it and really actually depends on what weapons you want to use to attack them. Um, so, for instance, uh, your space marines, uh, in particular the, the assault marine, which obviously having a jetpack is one that, the one that represents the knight, um, has a particular grenade called a, a crack grenade and that's sort of, sort of an anti-armor grenade. So there's aspects of... Um, Aspects of the law, in which case, for instance, you know, we've got um, abilities like go to ground and snapshots and things that are, are common within the, the universe, I suppose, as well. Um, and sort of using some of that terminology and sort of some of those sort of theories and actually adding them as the actual abilities themselves. Okay. That, mm. that, that's pretty much from what I gleaned from playing experience. I just thought there's some aspects of it that remind me a lot of the original tabletop. Not that I've ever really played it that much at all actually because I have an issue about getting a bit of tape measure and then start to play a game so no sorry I'm, I'm out I'm not using tape measures to play <laughs> but, but so my last question uh, I know it's sad we, all good things come to an end but uh, my last question is this the death animations in Warhammer 40,000 Regicide is they're quite brutal as you expect <laughs> and absolutely yeah, and it's something that Warhammer 40,000 is kind of, you know, famous for. And I was just wondering, it, they seem to become kind of almost a, a, a reward for the winning player as they destroy a unit, much like XCOM. Um, yes. Was the game built around, not built around it, but was that there, was there always that intention that a kill would be uh, rewarded to the player by this visceral animation? Oh, absolutely. Like, that's... <laughs> That's what it's all about. I mean, we're not gonna we're not gonna pull any roses over this one. It was all about seeing, you know, chunks of gib dance across the screen, and yeah, I mean, some of them are so over the top, you know. Um, they are it, it, ridiculous. You know. I saw I remember being jibbed in freaking Quake back in the day, but blimey, this is just. Gun in the face and desperation, <laughs> isn't it? Really, it's just you know they spin around, they stick a gun under someone's chin and blow their head off, or you know they pull a chain axe up through their spine, and then there's a moment in the animation because all of these animations were then motion captured as well. So you know we had real stunt actors that were sort of ex-military. Um, highly trained stunt actors that came in wearing their little funny suits with the ping pong balls coming in um, with our our creative director and um, sort of lead animator who were going through and sort of planning all these animations and it was really fun to be in that you know and we were in a room full of crash mats and they were throwing each other around and you know they were sort of pretending to sort of jump off sort of these boxes to you know sort of do this sort of sky style attacks right. and um bringing that then into the game but you know they've gone to like quite a lot of detail like there's one where uh, as they said that the when the characters is using their chainsaw and as they get to the spine they sort of like have a, a jolt moment where you can see it's almost like animating as if it's going through the bone it's quite brutal <laughs> quite, quite graphic you know and then obviously sort of pulls through 
in, and you can sort of see where it gets caught on all the different body parts and and like adding that amount of detail to some of them obviously they're quite quick uh, as well because you know it's meant to be quite a sort of a you know these are super soldiers that are doing all of these kind of things but it, you know there was a lot of those kind of aspects to it that you know we we found sort of a kind of you know, brutal joy in, and I think that's part of what the 40k universe is about, is that grim, dark excitement when you sort of see all these visceral kind of as- aspects yeah. to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not pretty, people. You know, things have gone bad for humanity. Really bad. <laughs> They've now got these eight-foot-tall warriors to defend them, and yeah, they're, they're kind of too good at it. Yeah, because, I mean, a lot of the game, you know, is, it's a very thoughtful game in a sense. You do sit there and you ponder your moves. Yeah. You know, so this brutal, you know, this brutal action isn't, it isn't end to end. It's not all there is. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of time to sort of sit and think and then you get punctuated. It's not, yeah, it's punctuated. It's not that common. It's actually quite rare. Like, oh, take it, oh God, because when you take someone out from range, they just fall over and what have you, but when it's hand-to-hand, it's just, oh, God, anyway. It's been been fantastic having you on. Thank Thank you you so much for having me. It's been been great chatting to you about your past and your current, and maybe your future, um, a little bit. And uh, we did hint at that earlier, which is quite fun. And um, when's it coming out? It's actually out now, isn't it? It's actually out now. Um, So we... It works on... PC at the moment. Windows PC um, at the moment. That's that correct. And then um, rather probably you already hinted at the, you know. Yeah. So I think the next stage is we're doing iOS next, um, followed by a sort of other mobile platforms, and then we're going to be looking further. So you know we'll be bringing it to other potential other PC or maybe even console aspects. I mean a lot of that very very future side is, is still quite undecided but certainly the the mobile and tablet aspect of it is because whilst it is quite a tactical game and sometimes you have to sit there and think about it we we feel it would be quite you know a lot of people have come to us and said you know i really want this game but on tablet because it's something that i could you know watch tv and then consider a move yeah you know and that's kind of how they want to play it so that's all where we're focusing our efforts on next how, i mean xcom's on the mobile platform of course so that's right yeah that works exceptionally well because you sort of go oh hang on just watching TV look down and go oh there it is <laughs> and start throwing everything you got at that that last <laughs> yeah I wonder where it was oh there it is um, but uh, yeah it's uh, I do think it, it's well well suited for that platform but like I said it is on Windows PC um, I've uh, had a fantastic time playing it and oh, uh, thank you. congratulate you and your team for an uh, extraordinary game. They come out of nowhere. I did not know of existence, I apologise, but, you know, too many games. No! It's a good thing. A good thing but. We, we did. I mean, this is effectively our, our, you know, our debut title. Yeah. So, you know, equally, all of the, you know, every single member of the team has, you know, probably from, aside from a few interns, have been in the industry for, you know, 10, 20, sometimes 30 years. So individually, we're very, very experienced. But as a, it's always a, it was always an interesting testing round when you've got a new team together. But you know, everybody gets on so well, and it's, it's a really, it's, it's a really like a, it's a really nice environment actually in our, in our office, and everyone's very, very deeply caring, which is, you know, obviously you have to be, and I know that all the game development people that are around. You know that you know your team become part of your family, so it's it's important to be around people that you like because you have to be work you have to work so hard and spend so many hours with them. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Well, Catherine, like I said, thank you very much for, for coming on. More than welcome to come back on your new project, whatever that may be, in a few years. But um, yeah, it's been great. Thanks very much. Thank you so much, Chris, and uh, I hope you have a great evening. <laughs> And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review. And you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer, you listen to this show, want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Bye!